talk is about letting go of self-doubt. Usually my talks don't get such a crowd, so I'm, I'm wondering if there's a lot of self-doubters out there. <laughs> if there are, you may be disappointed. Because letting go of self-doubt doesn't necessarily mean being always confident, always self-assured, or getting rid of self-doubt uh, so that you experience this everlasting happiness and peace. It's not that easy. Human existence isn't that simple. But rather, letting go of self-doubt means uh, learning how not to be caught by that energy, not being lost or identified with that particular mind state. And that's, of course, freedom. We don't always have control over what arises in practice, and that's one of the insights that we have. And self-doubt very much is a part of our conditioning, a very deep part of our conditioning. Creates a lot of suffering for us, but predominantly the suffering comes out of being lost or caught by it, being subject to it, instead of using it as an awareness practice. So I'd like to start out by talking about the difference a little bit between investigation, which is a quality that really is fundamental to, to insight meditation. It's fundamental to the Buddha's teaching, uh, this quality of investigation, in, in kind of contrasting it a little bit with um, the energy of self-doubt. Because both of them have something to do with asking questions, but they're very different energies. First, investigation, um, the quality that we encourage here at the center. Um, throughout all of the Buddhist teachings, he encouraged that quality of inquiry, investigation, asking questions, not making assumptions, you know, not taking things for granted, you know, not accepting things on face value, but rather to investigate and explore in a very deep way, what the nature of our life is about, what the nature of unhappiness or happiness is, to take a look for ourselves. Of course, that's the quality of investigation. And the tone of that investigation, and this is where it's very different than self-doubt, the tone of that investigation is open-hearted. It's open-hearted. It's taking a fresh look at one's experience. You know, asking questions with that fresh attention, without a lot of preconceptions, without a lot of judging. Just kind of taking a look at things in the here and now. Unburdened in some ways by the past. Investigation has everything to do with the intention to learn. In other words, our questions are meant to learn, to, to learn something from what we're asking about. It, it, the questions are, are designed to have us take a look at the experience in a very direct way for ourselves. Self-doubt, on the other hand, is quite a diff different energy. First of all, where investigation is open-hearted, self-doubt is everything but open-hearted. It's a very, con <coughs> very contracted state of mind, you know, very deeply contracted. Um, very familiar voices, you know, a lot of voices of self-doubt come, of course, from the past. So it doesn't have that much to do with the present moment. In fact, oftentimes, self-doubt is essentially bringing our conditioning into the here and now. So, so self-doubt often is that legacy of the past. Very difficult to respond to the here and now with fresh attention when we're burdened by that conditioning, when we get caught by that conditioning, because that then conditions our perception, 
our interpretation of the experiences that we have. And so that preconception that we have about ourselves, the things that we've learned, the things that we've conditioned, create a framework for us to experience the here and now. And it's a very contracted framework, very closed. It's very hard to learn something new about yourself. It's very hard to discover what's, what lies within you, what your potential for liberation is. It's not a very creative state, self-doubt. Obviously, it's a state of suffering. It's a state of anxiety, or worry, or fear, self-consciousness, comparing, evaluating, undermining. Very contracted state of suffering. It limits us severely when we get caught by it. And it's quite a burden to be carrying, actually. So when we begin to talk about letting go of self-doubt, we need to know that this isn't such an easy undertaking. It requires a great deal of patience and perseverance to begin to work with these habits of mind. You know, habits of mind that we've learned along the way. You know, it doesn't just happen by accident. It's not, you know, just our, our curse, you know, to have this self-doubt. But it's things that we've learned along the way, messages that we've picked up whether through family, through education, through other experiences, friends, just the everyday life of competition, failing, being criticized. And we accumulate those experiences and we form an impression of ourselves. And we form an impression of ourselves that's quite negative often. So first and foremost, in terms of learning how to let go of self-doubt, which means not to be caught by that energy, what we need to actually do is begin to investigate self-doubt. You know, bring those qualities that we cultivate in this practice, this open-hearted, mindful attention to our experience in the present moment. In other words, bring that open-hearted attention, mindfulness, that ability to bring fresh attention into the experience of self-doubt. That's the investigative process. Taking a look at it in a fresh way. You know, so often when we're caught in this anxiety, worry, or self-doubt, the mind is also reacting. It's either being overwhelmed or reacting with aversion to it, telling yourself all sorts of stories, speculating, endless speculating, projecting into the future, what's gonna happen. Deep sense of insecurity, and also a deep sense of not being up to it. You know, of course, all of those things are learned. So when we begin to investigate this process, it takes a certain degree of skill and wisdom to begin to investigate it in a productive way. So one aspect of investigation, one very crucial aspect of investigation is this process Larry's actually giving a talk on it next week, which is self-knowing. Okay? Beginning to get to know yourself. Becoming much more familiar with yourself. But attempting to do that with an attitude of friendliness. Yeah. With an attitude of non-judging. Not so easy to do. 
because we build up a lot of judgments about ourselves along the way. But fortunately, everybody in this room and everybody outside of this room has an innate capacity to look at your experience, to open to your experience without judging it. You know, that capacity, that quality that everybody has, it's an innate quality. You don't have to be special to have it. In fact, you don't even need to be special to practice it. You know? it's, it's this quality of mindfulness, this innate form of intelligence that allows us to meet an experience free of any preconceptions about that experience. It's free of any preconceptions. In other words, mindfulness, thinking is full of preconceptions. Thinking is full of judging. And that's why, in terms of investigating self-doubt, you may have already noticed this, that when you rely on thinking about it, trying to figure it out, trying to problem solve, maybe one is aware of that suffering. There's plenty of opportunities for self-doubt to arise. And so oftentimes we're very aware that self-doubt kind of chips away at us, that it's a limitation. And so we spend a lot of time thinking about it. But so often our thoughts are conditioned from the past. They're conditioned by aversion to the experience. We don't want to feel that vulnerability. We don't want to feel that self-doubt. We want to have confidence. We want to be fearless. I remember for me, my main motivation 30 plus years ago when I started practicing was to be fearless. That was my, that was my thing. Somehow I imagined this, that I could actually get there, uh, that I would be able to live without any fear at all. Uh, and of course, uh, that was delusion on my part, uh, because I'm still working with it, okay? So, that aspiration is fine, you know, to be less fearful is fine. But if we have a lot of aversion and judgment towards ourselves for our fear, or for our self-doubt, it doesn't help. It actually essentially reinforces it. It keeps us on that cycle. You know, the more we judge ourselves, the more self-doubt we have. The more self-doubt we have, the more we judge ourselves. That's the thinking mind. That's what the thinking mind does, the conditioned thinking mind. And so oftentimes the problem solving, the analyzing, all the strategies that we develop, the affirmative uh, sayings that we might cultivate, all the different things that we try to tell ourselves, um, oftentimes they don't work because they're coming from a spirit of aversion, of non-acceptance, of non-allowing of non-investigation, of real investigation, this open-hearted investigation. Most of, the, most of it is around how not to feel that experience. We don't like it. It's painful. It's contracted. There's no doubt about it. But what brings a lot of the suffering around self-doubt is how we're relating to it. That's the key. That's the key to liberation, is shifting your relationship to self-doubt. And that's something you can do something about. Everybody in this room can do something about. You know, the conditioning of self-doubt may be around for a while. You know, it may not disappear in a year or two years or three years. In fact, self-doubt often arises in meditation practice, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. In fact, meditation practice is ripe for self-doubt to arise. And why one of, the, one of the benefits, I think, of doing practice is you get an opportunity to look at that self-doubt. It comes up for everybody in practice at one point or another, and sometimes a lot in practice. Whether you're brand new, you can be totally new student, and self-doubt can arise very quickly. Immediately you think you're doing something wrong because the mind wandered. I get that all the time. People, you know, beginner class, people will say, you know, I just can't get this. 
my mind keeps thinking. It keeps wandering. And I kind of chuckle a little bit. And I think, yeah, sure, it keeps wandering. Get used to it. You know, because it's going to be wandering for a while. Okay? But one can practice with that situation. One can practice with the wandering mind. In other words, if we sit and judge the wandering mind, condemn ourselves for the wandering mind, or for the lack of concentration, whether we're new or whether we're students who've been practicing for 10 or 15 years, and sometimes those students are the most subject to self-doubt because their minds continue to wander. You know, and one keeps raising the bar as one goes on. You know, at the beginning of practice, you try to cut it down to five or 10 minute wander. You know, and then you're back and maybe you get two or three breaths in one meditation sitting. And then as you begin to practice, obviously the mind learns to stay with the breath a little longer, but there's still the wandering mind. There's still the mind that's unconcentrated and unfocused. And yet, look, I've been doing this for 10 years. You know, I should be done with this. That's, that's the voice. You know, uh, that person sitting next to me, they just started and they look quieter and more peaceful than me. You know? Oftentimes people think they're going backwards. I get that a lot. You know, I'm regressing in my practice. You know, because the mind is wandering more than it was in the first year. I get that a lot, too. And there are reasons for that, of course. And it's true. You know, sometimes the mind is actually a little more focused early on. But then through a mindfulness practice, things begin to surface. You know, because it's not a concentration practice we're going into. It's a mindfulness practice. In other words, it's an open-hearted welcoming of whatever's arising. And so that creates a space for lots of different things to surface. And insight isn't concentration. You, know, you can use concentration skillfully sometimes, for sure. But insight is seeing into the nature of what's actually happening now. And that could be the wandering mind. You know, it could be restlessness. It could be the mind that fantasizes. All of those things can be objects of mindfulness. And of course, the more open we are, the more things arise within consciousness, the more aware we become of what the condition of the mind is in, what condition the body's in. And so when we begin to wake up, we begin to encounter this energy of self-doubt. Let's look at it in terms of how it comes up in practice. Wandering mind can bring it up. Other difficulties that can arise in practice that bring up self-doubt. Um, the mind is fantasizing all the time. Okay? the mind that just won't let go of a particular fantasy or a particular obsession. Oftentimes when we see that repetitive quality of thinking, and, you know, it's, it's actually an insight to see the repetitive quality of thinking. And it's also helpful to, to begin to see just how boring our thinking actually is uh, because we're very attached to it. But when we sit down, we see that we have the same six or seven thoughts over and over again. Little variations on the same theme, but the theme is always about me. Have you ever noticed that with your thought? How many thoughts do you have that have nothing to do with you? <laughs> Not many. They almost always revolve around ourselves. And that's kind of uninteresting. As interesting as we are, we're not that interesting. You know, it, it gets actually tiring to watch those mind states come and go. Okay? And so seeing the repetitive nature of the powerful habits that come up when we sit, when we face those kind of difficulties, self-doubt arises because immediately, not immediately necessarily, but often, we think we're doing something wrong. We think we're doing something wrong. But many times, it's, it's not that we're doing something wrong. It's that we're waking up. We're waking up. It's kind of bad news sometimes, you know, just in terms of to see how conditioned the mind is. But we're waking up. In other words, we're on the path towards liberation. The Buddha said that very clearly. 
It's about waking up to the way things are. That's what leads to liberation. It's not about having it go a certain way. You know, it's about waking up to the here and now. And the here and now is continually changing. Okay. Fear, experience of fear or anxiety can bring up self-doubt. Um, sleepiness and dullness. This can be pretty extremely generate a lot of self-doubt, actually, sleepiness and dullness. I've talked to some people, and I've been a victim myself, of rather pr protracted states of sleepiness and dullness. In other words, sitting down and, and really feeling that a lot almost every time you sit. You know? And believe me, it's very hard to have faith or confidence or think you're doing something right when that happens. But oftentimes, that's just your karma for the time being, is that sleepiness and dullness is right. You could be tired. You know, you might not be sleeping well enough. You might be in a stressful situation. You might be relaxing. And as we begin to relax, sometimes what happens is there's a release of energy. There's a dropping down, de-energizing sometimes before we come back up again. You know? So sleepiness arises. Again, quite often what that does trigger is self-doubt. Now the problem with self-doubt is it's, sometimes it's a lot easier to actually be aware of other difficulties like restlessness, or wandering mind, or even sleepiness, um, or fantasies, or planning mind. But for many of us, when it gets, when that triggers the, the feeling of self-doubt, we forget the mindfulness practice. In other words, we forget to be mindful of the self-doubt that's arising. We get hooked in. We buy into it. And that's the difficulty with self-doubt. In fact, many people will say that self-doubt is the most difficult of all the hindrances because the voice is so convincing. You know, the sleepiness, the restlessness, it's over when the sitting's over. You know, conditions change and it's gone. So we don't identify so much with that. But, but self-doubt, it's been with us for a long time. And it's just plugging into the here and now, and we get caught by that energy. And the difficulty is that it undermines us. It undermines our effort and practice. And there's usually two reactions. One is to strive more. You know, work a lot harder. Push yourself a lot harder. You know, that's one reaction to self-doubt. Of course, that just creates tension in the mind. And when we experience that kind of tension, we tend to burn out. And we get caught by self-doubt there. The other reaction oftentimes to self-doubt when it arises is that we quit. You know, we stop practicing. And I don't mean just this particular practice or any particular method of practice, but we stop paying attention. We give up. We get discouraged. We get kind of resigned you know, to just the fact that we don't feel like we're up to it. What we want to train ourselves to do, instead of being caught by it, instead of buying into this particular set of voices as the absolute truth, rather than buying into that, begin to see it for what it is, which is it's a state of mind that's arising under certain conditions. It expresses itself in certain ways, and it expresses itself depending on each per person's conditioning. You know, everybody's a little bit different in terms of how self-doubt expresses itself, the intensity of it, what situation brings it up, what situation doesn't bring it up. People are very different. Some people thrive in certain situations, in certain environments, feel very confident, feel very competent, 
Others are terrified of that situation, yet they do very well in another situation. You know, so it's interesting just to begin to take a look at what conditions self-doubt arises. In fact, that's one question, one very important question in terms of getting to know oneself or the self-knowing process, is to begin to take this as a practice to see what conditions does self-doubt self arise in. Get to know yourself that way. It varies from person to person. There are some general situations that tend to trigger self-doubt. I mean, there's sort of general themes, I would say. And then they can be very specific to your situation. But certainly, self-doubt tends to arise when we're facing difficulties in our life. You know, we've talked about the difficulties one encounters when, when we sit, the restlessness, <coughs> sleepiness, impatience, fantasy, the wandering <clears throat> mind, all that. But life, you know, off the cushion. Very challenging, very, very challenging, very difficult. Things don't often go our way. We're constantly being uh, evaluated, you know, either by ourselves or by others. Uh, we're living on a planet we don't get to control, we don't get to call the shots. You know, we're subject to a lot of conditions that are out of our control, generates a lot of anxiety. So when we face these difficulties or challenges in our life, of course, when things are going smooth and easy, you know, oftentimes self-doubt doesn't arise so much. But when we're facing something difficult, um, decisions that have to be made, I talk to a lot of people about that. Everybody's always making big decisions. I've noticed that. It's a theme. Almost everybody is at a point where they're making big decisions because we <coughs> do tend to make a lot of big decisions in our life. You know, there's a lot of change in this culture. There's a lot of change in our life. Um, and making decisions are not easy. There's a lot of insecurity around what the results are of those, of those decisions. And so self-doubt, that energy, that contracted state of mind, almost always arises when we have big decisions to make. There's very few people that I know that can be engaged in some big life decision and not have some degree of self-doubt. Now, we want to investigate you know, when we have big decisions to maybe make. We, we need to be able to ask the right questions and to look at... Look at um, what the situation is with wisdom and discernment, but that's not self-doubt. Wisdom and discernment can come, in, come into play if we can be more aware of our self-doubt when it arises in the face of making a decision. In other words, when we can begin to separate those two, asking questions and the self-doubt. The self-doubt is the conditioning, the fear, the anxiety, the worry, and wisdom and discernment is just asking questions with this open-hearted, taking a look, you know, seeing what needs to be explored, what needs to be asked, what needs to be examined. You know, it's a very different quality. There's a lot less me in identi identification in the investigation when we begin to take a look at things. You know? With uh, self-doubt, there's a lot of me in there. There's a lot of me and mine in there. It's a very different quality. It's very tight and contracted. You know, in other words, the decision making the right decision 
is not just making the right decision, but it's also all about how it reflects on us and how we feel about it and all sorts of things. And, and, and so to begin to sift through all that uh, takes a certain degree of awareness and to begin to separate that contracted energy from just simply asking the right questions or asking questions with an open-hearted inquiry. Oftentimes, doubt arises when, we, when our uh, responsibilities in, in life change. You know, when we take on new responsibilities, you know, a new job, for instance, or we have a child, or the family changes, or um, we take on more things at work than we used to. Our role changes. And, of course, self-doubt naturally arises under that situation. You know, it often doesn't arise when we've, you know, settled on something, you know, th things seem relatively stable, we're doing well, we're getting you know, good appraisals or good evaluations at work and our family's reasonably together, pretty much together. And so self-doubt doesn't necessarily arise under those conditions. But it does arise oftentimes when um, we're asked to do more than what we've been asked before, when more is asked of us, when we're asked to stretch. Another condition that gives rise to self-doubt this one's very, very subtle sometimes. Sometimes it's very obvious. Uh, but it's an important one to begin to look at, which is when we begin to place a lot of expectations on ourselves. You know, whether it could be expectations other people have on us, but also often it's the expectations we have on ourselves. You know, we're kind of our worst boss in a way uh, because we're always demanding something from ourselves. And we get very attached to those expectations. You know, but things don't unfold according to what our expectations are. They rarely unfold according to our expectation. And so naturally, if our self-esteem or our confidence depends on conditions going a certain way, meeting our expectations, well, then we're in trouble. And it, it, it gives it's soil for this, this energy of self-doubt to arise, to grow. So watching out, being more mindful uh, being attached to a particular agenda or having particular expectations. In fact, the reason self-doubt arises so often in meditation practice, one can see this very clearly, is that one often has an expectation of what should be happening. And it's that expectation that's a killer. You know, it's being attached to a particular agenda. In other words, we sit down, we expect, we've been practicing five years, we expect to be concentrated, and then the mind wanders. The wandering mind isn't creating any suffering at all. It's the expectation that the wandering mind shouldn't be happening. That's what's creating the suffering. And those kind of expectations can, can be insidious in Dharma practice. And the fact is, real liberation or relaxation or inner freedom comes when we actually let go completely of any agenda or any expectations in practice at all when we have no expectations of what's going to happen when we sit down. I mean, really none. There's a lot of relaxation in that place. Deep relaxation and deep equanimity comes out of that because what it's saying is, is it doesn't matter what arises. My job is to simply be mindful of it. Yeah. And be mindful when I'm not being mindful. Yeah. No expectation, no sense of getting anywhere or getting something. That, of course, counters all our conditioning, which says we do things in order to get. And it doesn't, 
it's not a game we're playing here. It's not that nothing, no benefits come out of practice. It does. But we have to have the right attitude in practice. Otherwise, we drive ourselves crazy with doubt. For me, I was never aware of doubt in my practice until I hit about the 10-year mark. And then it hit me like a hammer, basically. I mean, I always thought I had complete faith in the practice. I pretty much dedicated, you know, those 10 years to Dharma, living in Dharma communities, doing a lot of intensive practice, meditating a lot, making a lot of sacrifices for practice, you know, reading a lot, um, you know, hearing a lot of inspiring stories and having many, many moments of inspiration myself and seeing lots of, you know, good things come out of the practice. But what I didn't realize was there was a lot of doubt going on underneath the surface of that. Then finally, at about the 10-year mark, it really hit me. When all of a sudden I became aware of a lot of deep conditioning that I hadn't been looking at before. You know, a lot of fears and worries and anxieties and a lot of unconscious unconscious material started surfacing. And, you know, I, I remember that one point I said, what have I been doing? You know, look at all this stuff. What have I been doing? And so there was a lot of doubt. And also, it, then, not just self-doubt for myself, but doubt on, around the practice and whether it was really, truly useful. What I needed to do at the time, it took me a while to get balanced around that and to begin to see that I needed to take up those questions. I needed to ask serious questions about my life and where I was going and try to get out there a little bit more and work with those fears and anxieties more. But I also had to take a look at that energy of self-doubt because what that self-doubt was doing was turning me into a striver. So whenever I was sitting, I was always doing, trying to get somewhere, always kind of evaluating my practice, always judging what level I might be at, at practice. And, and that's, those, those are the expressions of self-doubt, that constant judging of oneself, instead of just having the confidence or the faith to just be with the experience. You know, learning to just be with the here and now, rather than trying to make something happen. And oftentimes what that means is just being with self-doubt when it arises. Being with those thoughts instead of fixing yourself or fixing that particular state of mind. Practicing without an agenda. Very powerful way to begin to let go of doubt. So beginning to see those conditions in your life that bring it up. And to begin to see if it's possible to cultivate a friendlier relationship you know, with yourself in the process. You know, in other words, to begin to not identify so much with those voices of self-doubt, but to really see it for what it is, which is a state of mind that does arise under certain conditions. And you are definitely... Does anybody here not experience self-doubt? No? no? Does anybody experience self-doubt fairly regularly? Let's see hands. Like once a day or more. (laughs) Sure. Okay. Right. So obviously you're not alone. That's the point of that little exercise, right? It's not just you. They're not just your thoughts. Okay. A lot of us have been conditioned. Hyper competitive society that we live in. Wonderful conditions for self-doubt to arise. Self-doubt motivates us and drives us. In fact, industries are based on reinforcing self-doubt, based on reinforcing self-doubt. 
So there's lots of messages out there generating that kind of anxiety and worry. Very difficult to let that one go. You have to be much more mindful when it comes up. When you read ads, or when you look in the mirror, or when you're deciding to wear your cl what clothes to wear, or you're coming to a meditation center, or you're going on, on your way to work. See, see that energy when it comes up. You know? It's contracted, it's tight, it's anxious, it's worried, it's painful. Begin to recognize it and acknowledge it. That's the, cr the most crucial step that we can take along the path. The most crucial step that we can take towards liberation is to begin to recognize what's happening and then to acknowledge what's happening. Now, until we begin to recognize and acknowledge the self-doubt when it arises, you know, until we begin to see it, it's unconscious, just below the surface, operating fully, for sure, but we're not able to actually work with it in a skillful way. We're not able to apply wisdom. We're not able to feel compassionate towards ourselves. You know, we want to cultivate a compassionate relationship to that form of energy, you know, and, and uh, cultivate a compassionate relationship to ourselves in the process because we are suffering when we're caught by that energy. No doubt about it. And there are just so many situations where we do get tripped up by it. So how does self-doubt express itself? You know, that's the one thing, one investigative question is to see what conditions it arises, then how does it express itself? Obviously it expresses itself, uh, we've said, in a contracted way. Um, there's feelings of powerlessness, and self-doubt, right? We don't feel powerful, we don't feel empowered, right? We're chipping away. The voices are chipping away at us. Um, often leading to a sense of indecision. Ever look at procrastination? That's a big one around here, actually. A lot of people have procrastination. Look at that, self-doubt. Self-doubt's underneath it a lot, a lot of it, a lot of times. It's a difficult one to investigate, but that's certainly one of the energies underneath it. And of course, we have the fear of failure. Uh, this endless comparing of oneself. That if you see yourself comparing yourself to somebody else, there's self-doubt there. Perfect example, perfect expression of those voices when you start comparing yourself. When you're sitting next to somebody on a retreat or on a cushion, and they're sitting still and you're moving. You know, watch the comparing mind. Watch the comparing mind. The constant evaluating constantly thinking that there's something wrong. That's the voice, that there's something wrong. Something wrong, something wrong, something wrong, something wrong. Self-doubt. Another area of investigation First, we're looking at the conditions which it arises, then how that energy expresses itself in thoughts or in the body. Self-doubt, anxiety, worry often express themselves in the body. Okay. But then, what do we do with it? That's interesting, really interesting. It really asks a lot to investigate that. It's such an important area to investigate uh, because that's the area that we can change, which is what do we do with it when self-doubt arises? You know, what, 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 how does it affect our behavior? How does it affect our mind state? What happens? Well, certainly one thing that self-doubt arises, I've, I've mentioned already, is getting caught by it, believing it to be true. That's one thing we do. 
mental state arises, we believe it to be true. That's, one, that's often the first thing that we do, so we buy into it. That's the road down. <laughs> Self-criticism. We criticize ourselves for self-doubt, don't we? We constantly criticize us for our insecurities, our anxieties, our worries. Why aren't we more confident? Why don't we, you know, all of that kind of stuff. A lot of self-criticism, a lot of judging, a lot of condemning. Of course, that, of course, feeds the whole cycle, right? If you're criticizing and judging and condemning yourself, well, that doesn't build confidence. That builds a lot more self-doubt. Uh, oftentimes, we start seeking approval from others because we have self-doubt. That's another thing that we often do. When we're feeling doubtful about ourselves, we look for praise. You know, we attach to getting other people's approval. Um, oftentimes, we avoid conditions, the conditions that bring up self-doubt. That's a very significant one. It's hard not to do that, really, is to just back off. Avoid the conditions that bring up self-doubt. Stay in a safe territory. We're all subject to that. You know, we all have that strong desire to be emotionally safe. And beginning to investigate self-doubt means, to say it, but it does mean moving into something, trying to be more allowing or accepting of something that does make us feel uncomfortable an energy that does make us feel powerless and vulnerable. You know? But that's the only way we're going to be able to get to the bottom of self-doubt, is by beginning to get more comfortable uh, making some room for that energy when it does arise, recognizing it, seeing it, holding it, without judging it. And then finally, there's a strong tendency to identify and claim that voice, that self-doubting, anxious, worried, fearful voice as me. Or mine, you know. And so it's always a statement about me. When you look at self-doubt. It's always the, It's always has something to do with a statement about oneself. There's a claiming. There's an identifying with that particular energy. And so what we're doing in practice, instead of identifying with that energy, instead of pushing it away or avoiding the situation, not telling ourselves a story about the situation, but instead what we're going to do in practice is to begin to bring more awareness to self-doubt as a, a state of mind. And that's crucial in terms of developing more equanimity and non-identifying with that energy, is to begin to uh, see it for what it is. Sometimes labeling it helps. You know, sometimes it's helpful just to say, oh yeah, there's that self-doubt again. Oh yeah, you're on your way to work. Oh, there's that anxiety, there's that worry, there's that self-doubt again. Just a very gentle, kind, mental noting of the state of mind, so that we begin to see that it's a state of mind. That's the key. It's a state of mind. It's not the absolute truth about who we are, no matter how strong the voice is, no matter how convincing the voice is. It's just simply a state of mind. That's what it is. We think it's something else, commenting on our life, pointing out the things that we can't do, pointing out the things that we can do. And we take that as reality. But actually, it's simply a state of mind that's deeply conditioned from the past. So bringing mindfulness and fresh attention means beginning to take a look at this energy more with a more of an open heart, less judging. And that's the power of mindfulness. You know, mindfulness actually allows us to do that with anxiety or worry, with practice. As mindfulness gets stronger, the more we practice it, the more able we're to we're, we're developing an ability to meet those difficult energies in life, those difficult situations, with a more open heart, with fresh attention. 
so that we can actually learn from the experience, you know, so that we can actually learn from the situation that we're in and develop some wisdom that can come out of that situation. A lot of wisdom can come out of facing self-doubt, taking a look at it, just like it, a lot of wisdom can come out of very difficult conditions that we might find ourselves in. A lot of change. We, a lot of things might be going on in our life, but a, learn, a lot of learning can happen if there's a certain degree of balance in the mind and taking a look at it in an open-hearted, fresh way rather than jumping in there with the judgments or the, or the preconceptions. So beginning to let go of this habit of self-doubt does require patience. Okay. It really requires patience. This is kind of a habit that we've been cultivating probably since day one, you know, in terms of self-doubt. It's, it's an old, they're old familiar voices actually, uh, self-doubt. And a lot of times they don't even seem old or familiar because we're relating to a different situation in our life, yet the voice is often telling us the exact same thing. Very deep conditioning. So in order to begin to turn that boat, you know, and it's important to be realistic. You have to be patient. If you give up, you know, if you give up or you don't keep working with it, keep trying to be more mindful. Keep a mindfulness practice going. Recognize it for what, for, for what it is when it arises. Then we're kind of subject to it. You know, we're subject to that conditioning and there's a tendency to reinforce it along the way. So what we want to begin to do, and this is what mindfulness allows us to do, is to begin to cultivate a friendlier and more compassionate relationship. We're in it for the long haul. You know, practice is about the long haul. You know, and so we want, we want to cultivate some compassion for ourselves along the way. You know, we need to cultivate compassion. It's too hard. You know, we're, we're, we open up to stuff that we don't like about ourselves all the time. And we open up to suffering. The Buddha said that clearly, that the way to liberation is by opening to the suffering that's there. And so, okay, if that's the path, the path is taking a look at things, seeing the nature of suffering, but also understanding what leads to freedom. Well, we need to cultivate compassion to the suffering that we encounter within ourselves. Sometimes self-doubt is overwhelming. You know, it just, it's like a black hole. You just get caught in it, it just sucks you in over and over again. And again, it's helpful to turn to the practice when that happens. But one practice, one aspect of the practice that can be particularly useful, you know, in working with a strong habit of mind, you know, a habit of mind that can lead to that sense of over, being overwhelmed, or we feel despair or discouraged in a very deep way uh, when we encounter something within ourselves. Well, the metta practice or a compassion practice, you know, cultivating a little bit of practice around loving kindness or compassion towards yourself, extremely helpful. You know, if you notice that you're very judgmental, or if you notice that self-doubt is a really predominant part of your life, it's a major form of suffering. Sometimes the mindfulness practice, the investigative tools, just are enough. There's too much reactivity. There's too many ideas about the experience. There's too much conditioning around it. You know, our relationship is kind of stuck in it. 
the metta practice, the practice of loving kindness, cultivating a few phrases, directing them towards yourself, to other beings, but definitely towards yourself, or cultivating phrases of compassion, sending compassion to yourself, extremely useful for nurturing a certain degree of calm, balancing the mind a little bit, so that it then becomes more possible to see it for what it is. You know, in other words, developing calming practices, ashamata practices. Sometimes it's really helpful if you're feeling overwhelmed by anxiety, worry, or doubt to just try to reconnect to the breathing. And I don't mean just on the cushion, but I mean wherever you are. Just count three breaths. You know, just see if you, you can just connect to the body in some way. Or just feel yourself sitting in a chair. Or feel the contact with the floor. In other words, come back into the present. The whole nature of self-doubt is that it's, it's, not a, it's coming up in the present moment, but a lot of the voices have nothing to do with the here and now. They're taking us into the future, an insecure future, one that we're not up to. And so coming back into the present, coming back into the now, through the body or through the breath, very useful practice. So these are kind of tricks or, or ways or methods that we can build on our formal practice and bring it really into daily life, which is a place where self-doubt comes up a lot because we're constantly dealing with conditions that are not in our control. We're constantly being challenged by one thing or the next. You know, that's what I see in my own life. And you know, I think relatively speaking, compared to a lot of people's lives, I don't think my life is that challenging, yet it definitely seems pretty challenging to me. So you know, learning how to be up for that, get up for that. One way of doing that is developing this ability to be more mindful, but also develop a certain degree of calm. Because if we can develop some calm in the face of this anxiety or all these changes that are going on, we begin to develop confidence. But it's not the confidence where self-doubt never arises. It's the confidence that, that comes out of the fact that we can face self-doubt and not be caught by it. We can begin to see it as a state of mind. And so, sure, it arises you know, in our life under conditions. And that might be going on for 20 years. But one doesn't have to suffer because of it. It doesn't have to got, be the guiding light, you know, to our, to our decisions or the way we see ourselves. You know? We don't have to be subject to it. We can begin to just see it as a state of mind. And so even if we see it a thousand times in a day, no problem. What that tells me is that there's been a thousand moments of mindfulness. So you have a very, very good practice. If you have a thousand mo moments of mindfulness in a day, you should definitely be up here. Because you know, that's a lot of moments of mindfulness. Okay? And so if you see self-doubt arising over and over again, don't worry about it. Take it up. It's just another object to be mindful of. If you can't see it that way, or if you, can't, if you forget to do that, or it's just too much, or it sounds okay, but I really can't do it, do, work with the calming practices. Work with the metta or compassionate phrases. Um, work with the body. Be mindful of the breathing when you find that you're overwhelmed. In other words, what we're doing is we're applying wisdom now. You can see that the whole relationship, if we're doing what I'm suggesting, if we actually take this up as a practice, it's fundamentally different, profoundly and radically different than what we've been doing with it. See, that's it. It doesn't change right away just because we're doing something different. But it does change. You know, it does lead to freedom, this path. Okay? What we're doing is letting go of our conditioning. 
you know, deconditioning the mind, discovering more space in the mind, you know, discovering more freedom in the mind. And so when self-doubt arises, it's not a problem. It's just a state of mind. It's voices from the past telling us something about ourselves, sometimes in very harsh language, often painful and contracted, but there's a lot more equanimity. We're actually able to hold that energy. And there's a lot of confidence that comes out of that. Because what that's beginning to point to is the unconditional freedom that comes out of practice. You know, practice, the peace in practice doesn't come out of not having self-doubt arise. Like I said earlier, always feeling confident, always feeling up to the task. No, 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 that's, that's a fantasy. No. The peace comes about when these different states of mind can arise and we hold them without suffering, without identifying with them. Then there's this deep peace, which means that we're up to any conditions that we face. Not only can we meet the conditions that generate self-doubt, but we can meet the energy of self-doubt without feeding it, without suffering. And it passes. That's the fruit. In some ways, it passes much more quickly. We don't get so bogged down in it. We're not so self in it. You know, we just see it for what it is. Like, in some ways, the image that comes to my mind, I'll finish right here. The image that comes to my mind in describing self-doubt I really think this this is true for fear, self-doubt, anxiety, worry. It's like clouds moving across the sky. It's part of the sky. The clouds are part of the sky. They're part of nature, right? If you sit down here and you look up and you say, oh, why don't those clouds go away? I'm tired of those clouds. It doesn't really do any good. Rather, try to appreciate them. See them as part of the sky. We need the clouds in order to learn. So that's freedom. You know, that's freedom in, this, in insight meditation. It's not the freedom to get rid of the things that we don't like about ourselves, but it's about entering into the things that we don't like about ourselves, the things that challenge us, the things that create difficulties, but learning to relate to them in a way where we can actually learn from the experience rather than suffer. And that's the, whole, that's the crux of practice learning rather than suffering. But you have to have the right attitude and the right tools. Okay, let's just sit for a minute, okay? Yeah. Definitely. But it's, it's, I guess it's to look at the yeah. energy of these other fears or energies that arise and ultimately becoming really from the area of mindset. Correct. Yep. Yeah, no, self-doubt is, a, is, is very much an expression of fear, anxiety and worry itself. And, of course, it triggers the same thing. It triggers, you know, we're feeling vulnerable and things are out of control and insecure. And then that, of course, triggers more fear more speculation, more worry, more anxiety. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a cycle. Wherever you can pick it up is good, you know? I mean, definitely. So you're looking at it, so you're sort of identifying to say, you see it. Yeah. You're, you're 
acknowledging that as well as then the after or whatever comes up. Correct. Right, exactly. If you can pick it up early enough, that's exactly what happens, is you can actually sometimes pick up the first thoughts of self-doubt that arise. And then, but oftentimes what happens is we pick it up down the road somewhere. Um, but that's okay, you know, as long as we pick it up somewhere. Um, but sure, you, one can actually, like, just pick up that thought like, oh, you know, it can even be a physical, like, just a sinking of the heart, you know? And that, it, it's like all of a sudden somebody's asking something of you, and you just don't think you can do it. And, you know, that can just trigger a whole series of self-doubts and self-condemning and self-criticism and then self-doubt and, and, and on and on it goes. That, that's how often it seems to work. Yeah. You mentioned metta, to practice metta. Yeah. Were you, um, is that a suggestion to pick, I'm going through a very, 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 very sleepy period of my meditation. Yeah. Are you suggesting to use that sort of exclusively for a period of time, or as a as a pra as practice? No, I would suggest standing up. I, I've been I've been sleeping standing up. Okay. How about open eyes? <laughs> I can't sleep when I have my eyes. Open them. Walking open them. Yeah, in walking practice, of course, too. Sure. But if you're at home, do some standing and actually have your eyes open. That's actually an interesting practice. Uh, just to take on that way. That might actually break that the momentum of sleepiness. And I've had that really strong sleepiness where really standing just doesn't do it. You're so tired. Even on your feet, you think you're going to fall over. But opening the eyes will help a lot. And again, it's not with the spirit of aversion, but it's more like a wise way to respond to low energy um, is to do, is to be creative. You know, or, you know, do, do, do walking. You know, go, go into your hallway or something and do 20 minutes or 30 minutes of walking. Break up the routine of, the, of that. Um, but sure, the thing that you want to look at with the sleepiness, I think, is also the mental states, the mind states that are rising in relationship to it. Because that's something very important to look at. Like, for instance, is it discouraging that you're in a phase of sleepiness or is it okay? Absolutely. Okay. Right. Exactly. <laughs> See, that's, that's the energy you want to look at. Because that's the place you don't... You know, I can say stand up and open your eyes and all that, but, but with sleepiness, what we're really doing is we're encountering a set of conditions, both in the body and the mind, that we don't want to encounter, not when we're sitting anyways, right? Um, so that, that's why, you know, there's so much learning and insight actually can arise through even encountering something as difficult as sleepiness or restlessness, you know, chronic restlessness or chronic sleepiness or repetitive sleepiness, because what we then get to take a look at is what we're doing in relationship to that energy. And we need to be able to take a look at those feelings of discouragement or despair or self-doubt that are arising in the face of those conditions. Because my guess is if it's, face, if it's arising in the face of those conditions, it also may be pointing to the fact that it arises in other conditions in your life. And so the more you can bring mindfulness to those states of mind, the less you'll be caught by the discouragement. And then one gets in practice, and definitely true for me, where you can be really sleepy. I used to judge sleepiness really harshly, really harshly. The strivers really judge sleepiness, you know, in a very harsh way. Um, get to the place where you can be just much more allowing. There's no, no aversion at all with sleepiness. It's just what it is. And I try to work with it, open my eyes, do some standing, or just be with it. If there's a little bit of aversion there, irritation maybe, or wishing I had a little bit more energy, I'll notice that thought. 
you know? It, but that comes through being aware and working with all the aversion and judgments I had about that particular energy. Um, so to me, it's like a, a lot of times things that happen on the cushion can be like a microcosm of what we're doing in our life. That's why the littlest things can be the biggest teachers if the mind is quiet enough to observe. And what we're observing and learning from often is how we're creating suffering in relationship to the conditions that are arising. In other words, sleepiness is not suffering. No matter what you think, sleepiness is not suffering. No, no, no. Our relationship to sleepiness can be suffering. Absolutely. I mean, a perfect example, I could argue about this the cows come home. When you go to bed, is sleepiness a good thing or a bad thing? It's mostly it's a good thing, right? If it comes, right? Wakefulness is a bad thing. Okay? Flip the conditions around, you see the state of mind very differently. It's all the way you're relating to it or holding it. That's the incredible secret in practice. The, the one that's the hardest to get is to see that the suffering in the freedom lies in our relationship to what's arising, not in what is actually arising. That is not going to free us. your lecture letting go self-doubt <laughs> but when you were talking about a lot of stuff it seemed to be about being with self-doubt yeah which to me is two different things right um, the second thing i was going to say is can you take me through a process of um a challenge a self-doubt and how and 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 dealing with that for example i'll give you an example of what's going on in my life that, I, that pertains to it or you could choose another example I'm thinking about moving to New York City and getting a new job and blah, 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 and just yeah. like changing my whole life. Big change, yeah. Yeah, big change on a, on a lot of different levels. Yeah. Different place. yeah. Very intense job, blah, blah, blah. So it's bringing up some fear. I don't know if I'm gonna, it's going to happen, but then yeah. I'm thinking, oh, can I do this job? It's like such a big deal. And oh, wow, living in New York City, lots of stress. So I'm trying to think of like, okay, that's, that's fear and self-doubt. Okay, I've named it. Yeah, um, yeah. And then uh, I'd love to know where to go from there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I, you had two questions. What was the first one? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, when I say letting be, it doesn't mean you're resigned to the energy. Letting be is, it, it, well, yeah, letting go, like, the first step, what I'm saying is the first step in letting go is learning to let be first before you jump in there before you figure things out, before you fix this, before you make that decision. You know, in other words, just experience the self-doubt. Let it be. Be very allowing of that particular anxiety or worry. In other words, a lot of times when we're feeling anxious or worried, we immediately focus on the conditions that are generating it and then try to solve that problem you know, so that we don't feel anxious anymore. You know? and, but that's jumping the gun. And what I'm saying is, is that tends to reinforce self-doubt because those kinds of situations, we're training ourselves to do that every time we meet something that makes us feel insecure or fearful, is that we immediately focus on the conditions. But in life, we don't get to call the shots a lot of the time. And there are decisions to be made, but we don't, we don't, we don't get to call what the results of that decision is. We don't know how that job is going to work out until you actually go and do it. So. So it's, it's letting that feeling of anxiety or worry be there. And by, by knowing that those, that's part of your experience about going there 
is that you are feeling anxious or worried. You know? That's a helpful thing to know. Okay? Because then you can begin to sift through the contracted feelings of anxiety and worry and the kind of questions or the discernment that you need to apply to the situation because you do need to ask questions. And actually, there was a chunk of my talk that I forgot to mention, which is one very useful way of bringing the mind more into balance and helping us with self-doubt is, and this is an antidote that the Buddha suggested, is noble friendship. In other words, learning to talk, finding somebody and learning to talk to people who actually can be helpful in terms of how to relate to that self-doubt. You know? And you have to be discerning in terms of who you talk to because sometimes if you talk to the wrong person, they'll just reinforce the doubt, the anxiety, the worry. You know? and, and so you have to, or they'll just want to make you feel okay and they'll be real reassuring and then you get there and it's a nightmare. You realize they didn't, they didn't really tell you what it was actually going to be like. You know, they just want you out of your pain. Or maybe they want you there. You know, and they're attached to having you there. So they're not the most reliable, noble friends. They might be well-meaning or well-intended, but they don't have the wisdom. Sometimes it's really helpful to talk to somebody who's wiser than us, who can actually hold the insecurities and the stuff that's going on around this particular decision and somebody to talk it out with. You know, to bring some more balance because oftentimes if you find somebody that has that wisdom or that detachment or that openness, they can discern what the self-doubt and the anxiety is, especially if they know you, and what the questions and, and how, in a sense, deal with those questions and maybe help you with that. So, so to me, that's often very helpful when we're making decisions or making, making but certainly recognizing the anxiety and worry is, is, is critical. Now, if you find that you're obsessing and you're really getting caught a lot on the worry and the anxiety end of it. In other words, you're thinking about it, but it's really colored by a lot of contracted fear energy. Mm -hmm. Then you might try to do the calming practices. That's why we often suggest people sit during these times, you know, when big decisions are made. And not sit and figure things out and make the lists and make the plans, but actually sit and just be with what's coming up around this move. It's very empowering to be able to do that because it actually leads to a more clarity in the mind. It's almost like magic, but it's not really. It, it, it works on principles, but it actually can bring a lot of clarity you know, just by allowing those feelings to be there and trying to be more mindful of those feelings. Okay? Yeah. And one yeah. of the things I noticed about myself recently is that anytime I feel anxious, or often when I feel anxious because of things that are happening around me and I'm part of and I try to see a peaceful state of mind, I, I realize also that more and more I want to, to be, um, more often I want to be less with, you know, I spend less time with people. Like I feel like I need to sort of create that space for myself to yeah. be peaceful. and not to absorb others' anxieties or sort of... Yeah. And so it's... Um, is that a bad thing? I mean, is it like going overboard? Are you afraid no, of that? No, no, not at all going overboard. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Somehow I see Buddhism as a way of opening up to the world, but and to some extent, sometimes I feel like to really find the peaceful state of mind, yeah. I'm actually... I'm not willingly... I mean, I don't think yeah. it's... You know, yeah. I couldn't support you more than that. <laughs> I couldn't support you anymore. Uh, I, 
I'm completely the same way. Exactly. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that we need to be able to have space to be alone or not to have a lot of demands placed on us at all times. And yeah, you're right. Ultimately, you know, on an absolute level, those conditions aren't creating suffering for you. You're buying into those conditions in a certain way. And so we're creating that suffering. It's not to say that the conditions aren't very convincing or that they, you know, they're, they're demanding you in some ways to act that way. And there's a culture there, I'm sure, that generates anxiety. And a lot of work situations are just like that. People feed on anxiety. And you have to get in there too. So there's a lot of pressure to do that, you know. Um, so I'm not, I'm not suggesting that, you know, we're at the absolute level or not. But the fact is we do have to be somewhat realistic and have, find some balance in our life where when we're in a situation where it is very stressful, there are a lot of demands being placed on us, and uh, it is a culture of fear, anxiety, competitiveness, and su success and failure is not a good thing. When we have that kind of pressure on us, yeah, I can't blame you for a second for having some alone time or for, for to get, get out of that situation. That's what vacations are for. That's what weekends hopefully are for. That's what your practice, sitting practice, should be for, is a, a chance to disengage from that environment and, and to go inside or to relax or to do things that are nurturing because that kind of environment can be depleting on a human level. It can be extremely depleting. So we need to recharge and rebalance and discharge and relax and remember what's important. Uh, you know, see, see the world in a bigger way. Uh, and all of those kinds of things do come out of being alone, come out of a meditation practice, come out of doing things that, um, you know, stepping out away from that is, is extremely helpful. So I couldn't be more empathetic with you on that. Very important. George, yeah. Well, you know me very well. I, you know, I do. Even, even my first teacher since I came here, right? I started as a beginner. Yeah. And um, so I guess we could have a conversation that you might identify a little bit more with than some of the folks here. But you know that I was a very anxiety-ridden person. Yes. And I've I've done a lot, really, you know, to really change the face of you have the exhausting you have. process it is being me. I mean, it's yeah, it's tiring. I know. It's tired. It's exhausting being George. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I have a lot to give, and I give it, and I have yeah. a lot of situations going on. But one of the things that has become a rudder, and I'm going to apply it right to this, is that I have certain things I've been saying to people in business. You know, I'm starting to think, of, I'm starting to only believe half of what I think. Uh, Good. That was one, you know, I'm starting yeah. to believe only half of what I think. That's good. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I got another couple of other ones. And these are the rudders. I call this my rudder. Yeah. This is how I steer to it when you were talking about the self-doubt. And the, the other thing is, it isn't what I don't know in life that has so often gotten me into so much trouble. This is a Mark Twain quote. It's what I'm so sure I did know. Uh-huh. Boy, So I developed this don't know mind thing. Yeah, right? good. You know, I mean, yeah, to yeah. Me, everything is I have either... When yeah. I'm in a situation where I'm getting yeah. animated like I am now, yeah. I say, is this a reactivity alert? You yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. a reactivity alert. Yeah. You know, that's a mindful way of, you know, yeah. for me to remind myself of. And the other thing is, is this this other piece. Is this something that you got conditioned to believe it was true and then you're going to invoke something into it? You know? Because, did I say that right? 
Because you have a quizzical look. No, I'm are you asking me that, or do you ask yourself no, no, that? No, this is how I pose oh, myself. OK, these yeah, OK, because I was I making, trying to make sure I understood. If I'm just being reactive, and then I, I you know, I, I yeah. get physical with the body somewhere. Or yep. I take my breath throughout the day when I get, if I have anxiety, I do exactly what you say. Great. And then what I'm finding is, is that by having the don't know mind, mm -hmm. I eliminated, uh, eliminate, and is it, is it connected? I mean, I've eliminated a lot of the self-doubt because so many of the things that I'm doubtful about are preconceptions that I had. Correct. And if I, rec if I recognize that this might be a preconception, a pre right. then I don't right. have to get to engage with it. Right. Now, the, the young Sounds lady, good. So far, so good. So far, so good. Okay. This young but, lady brought up a, a situation which, being a business person and having to make business decisions, could cause a certain amount of anxiety. This is a bit, you yeah. take on the account, do I buy the new equipment? Yeah. And, and yet, I think that you gave a great answer about looking for advice to try to make some things on the, on the business side of the decision. Sure. And then if you go into too much anxiety, right. I guess my question then comes yeah, down what's, to, Yeah, what's the question? There's a delicate balance, you know, between, between making the, the changes that I've talked about making, like the don't know mind, yeah. and then not getting rid of Right. Certain aspects, which are really, like the, the do no mind is a very counterproductive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I, yeah, I just, agree. I mean, that, well, like you said, it, it's being mindful. It's the, do mind, it's the do no mind that's causing the trouble. So when you, when you see that mind that's sure about this is how it is, that needs to be questioned, that mind, right. because that is a mind that does well, create. It's right there. Oh, yeah, definitely. No, no, that's good. Okay. No? Oh, okay. Yeah. We'll get to all of you. Quick. Um, Quick. When you say... Yeah, we'll... About five, five minutes or so, but yeah, okay. Say you have um, a self-doubt about, will I be good at this job? Yeah. I don't think I can do it. Or, so you sit with that feeling. What exactly, like, if you were to talk somebody through it, what, like, what does mm -hmm. that mean? Okay, so here's the feeling. Mm -hmm. Sort of a mysterious process, because yeah. you often refer to sitting with the feeling, but... Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what yeah. Does that mean exactly? Yeah. Yeah. Now there's a th well, to me there's a really good starting point and this is I think really helpful actually, which is when you're asking the questions, you simply want to be aware of the feeling quality of the questions. Like in other words, is this job going to be good for me? Is a good question. You need to ask that job. You, you, or am I up to this job? You know. I mean, that's that's a reasonable question to ask, and it should be asked before you ever take a job. Um, doesn't necessarily know, mean that you're going to get the right answer or the answer, but asking that question is a good question. But then it's kind of like, what's the tone? What's the feeling quality behind the question? Is there anxiety? Is there an undermining? Is, is there an undermining energy in that question? Or is it just simply an exploration? And, and that's, so, what, so in other words, is it contraction? When you're asking that question, is there a tightening that's happening around that question? Or are you just asking that question? If there's a tightening, that's self-doubt. If there's not a tightening, it's a reasonable, it's a, that's what I mean. You can ask the same question, but it's how you ask it. You know, it, That's the difference between an inquiry and doubt. You can be asking, and a lot of the questions that come up in self-doubt are good questions to ask, like, you know, am I up to this or whatever it is. Oftentimes, though, also with self-doubt, so there's a feeling quality to it. Oftentimes, behind that question, there's a little voice, a little assumption, 
little undermining or chipping away or an idea about who you are. And that needs to be investigated more. You know? It's not to say, you know, it, that actually does need to be investigated when you're looking at something like that because you might be making an assumption that you're not up to it. And so you're asking that question based on that assumption. And it can be kind of self-fulfilling. But, but there are a lot of jobs that you wouldn't be up to. There's a lot of things that I wouldn't be up to, you know, realistically. And so we want to be in touch with that. That's why sometimes when you're asking that question, it's good to talk to somebody too because then they can help you sift through whether you're coming from a place of undermining yourself by asking that question or the way you're relating to that question or is it really just an open exploration. So look for the feeling quality to it. And that often shows itself up in the energy in the body. The energy, is it like de-energizing? Is it flat? Or is it just this open-hearted questioning? And we, what we want to do is, is begin to discern the difference. Because my guess is they could be both happening, you know? But you don't want to be ruled by the self-doubt, you know, when you make your decision. Okay? Yeah, one more. Um, I'm thinking about sort of what happens Usually, you were talking about how it comes up a lot when you're making a decision. Yeah. And I typically experience self-doubt. I'll be physically, emotionally tired yeah. during the time that that's going on. Exactly. Good, good insight. Mm -hmm. And say you're choosing between a known and an unknown. Uh, should I move? Should I take this job? Or should I stay with the status quo? Right. You're tired, and eventually the decision's either made affirmatively by you or by not doing anything, and it passes. Then you're making a decision. Right. right. And you move into, you stay with the known for right. whatever reason. Yep. And it's done. It's a one yep. or the other. And you, the physical and emotional tiredness goes away because you're, you're now down this path. Right. You've made your decision. You've made your decision. Right. Whether you did it affirmatively or by inaction. Yep. And all of a sudden that passes and you feel lighter and you're, you know, maybe you practice more compassion yourself and others and that nagging feeling of self-doubt goes away. And then I, I'm wondering about a lost opportunity for learning if, um, if you move down that path yeah. and really there was some more fundamental fear of this unknown choice that you chose to avoid. Correct. And yeah. by yeah. getting to a place where you've been there a million times before, you find it easier to get back to that, but then there's this lost opportunity. Exactly. Perhaps. And yep. how to really discern whether that is a lost opportunity or that's just more self-doubt, second-guessing yourself after you're down there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You've been there before, <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> it's fresh in your mind, huh? <laughs> yeah. Feeling awfully light today. <laughs> <laughs> so you're staying. <laughs> Now you get to watch ambivalence, <laughs> right, or self-doubt, whether you let an opportunity go by. Uh, yeah, well, I think that, you know, that's a, a very, very good question, and um, that's why when you're making a decision, why it's so important to try to be with the feelings that are going on around that decision-making process, because the feelings will often point to you what's going on for you. You know, in other words, Procrastinate. Say you, you took that job. You didn't take the job. You just kept procrastinating the decision, so the decision was made. You know, and you ended up staying. You know, you just kept putting it off, and then you're making a decision that way. But you know, what's interesting is is to every time that you thought about making that decision, or every time it came up, what you want to do is look at the feelings around that 
decision? You know, what the significance of that is? Is there tension around that? Is there worry when you think about moving? You know, you got you to develop enough mindfulness so that you can begin to tap into those feelings. It's not easy to tap into those feelings a lot of times because, you know, we, we aren't in touch with a lot of those feelings sometimes. It's not necessarily the story that we're telling ourselves. Um, but, you know, a lot of times we're just engaged in thinking about the situation, analyzing, figuring it out, trying to decide what's right. And that's why I said why it's helpful to actually go into the feelings around making that decision. Because if you can get in touch with that, you'll, you'll discover whether there is really a lot of anxiety and worry, and if that's driving you to not making a decision. And then that gives you an opportunity to say, wait a second, you know, this is just fear that I'm dealing with here. You know, I, I can feel this fear. I know it's around making this change. There's a big part of me that doesn't want to make this change or isn't quite up to it, doesn't feel quite up to it. At least if you know that much about yourself, you know, in the knowing of that, in the seeing of that, there's more room and more space. And there's actually a possibility that you just, you won't just continue to procrastinate. That you'll see, wait a second, you know, I don't want to just take the easy path here. I'm going to stretch. But if you don't see those feelings, coming up, if, you, if you're not in touch with those feelings, then the tendency, of course, is going to just go the easy way. You know? I mean, sometimes it's helpful to know what those feelings are and then realize that you're not ready to deal with making a change in your life. It's just too big. It's going to bring up too much stuff. You're not ready for it. You know? So that's where getting in touch with those emotions that are underneath it, the feeling quality underneath it, can be extremely useful because then you're beginning to see what's driving the decision or non-decision. That creates a little bit more room. That self-knowing piece is very helpful. And so when we are making decisions, that should be a big part of what we're involved in. Not just in making the decision, which is where the focus of attention is, what we want to pay attention to is what's going on underneath that. How are we relating to this decision? That's the question we want to ask. That's the question you want to ask. That's the question you want to ask, is how am I relating to this decision? Is there fear? Is there desire? Is there fantasy? You know, what, how am I relating to this? Is there self-doubt there? And then oftentimes, like I said, talking to somebody who might know you, it, that you can hash it out with, a lot of times when you can talk to somebody who has a little bit more wisdom or discernment, even sometimes just the talking itself out, something reveals itself, and you see how anxious and worried you are. And then it becomes very clear what you need to do.